so much that you are a giver. We want to be just like you. We want to give. And as we give, Lord, we expect, uh, not, not with false expectation, but just according to your word, that you will provide for us and bless us and that you will cause our giving to multiply and impact people's lives like Emily's and like what happened at camp, Lord. And Father, right now, we open our hearts to receive from your word uh, because we don't need money. We don't need someone else to change, but we need your word to change our hearts. And so we prepare our hearts right now to receive your word, which is able to set us free, heal us, deliver us, change us, give us wisdom, give us a word from God that will change the direction of our life. We receive that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and collect the giving and the connect cards and open your Bibles up to Matthew 13 and also Hebrews chapter 6. Matthew 13 first and then Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to go there in just a, a, a few minutes. But for those of you who remember, we're in a series that's called Fruitful Lives, and the Lord has been speaking to us from the parable of the farmer and, and the seed. And this is so important because this is not just a series we're going through. This is not just a couple of messages that I, you know, like I got off the internet or something like that. I think that many of you who have been with us and you've heard the messages, you know that this has been the word of the Lord. Amen? I mean, the Lord has been speaking to us. If, if you remember, let me just give you a real quick reminder for those of you who just need to, need to be refreshed. Jesus is telling a story in Matthew 13 about a farmer who goes out to sow seed, and the seed lands on four different soils, right? The first one is the rocky soil. I'm sorry, that's not right. The first one is the, the wayside or the hard soil. Hard soil like concrete. The second one is the rocky soil. Not enough dirt, just a bunch of rocks, kind of like like a crack in the sidewalk or something like that. The third one was thorny soil. There was soil. The seed goes into that soil, but the thorns also grew up, choked that seed. And then the fourth one was good soil, right? And the Lord has been speaking to us these last number of weeks, and He's been saying, if you will hold on to My Word and not let go of it and not let anything rob you of My Word and not let anything choke out My Word in your life, my word will bear fruit in your life. Amen? What did Jesus say in, in, in uh, John 8? He said, if you abide, or I'm sorry, if my words abide in you, right? If my words abide in you, that means that you're holding on to it, you're sticking with it, you're staying with the word. He says, you shall know the truth, and what will set you free? Not your own human effort. The truth will set you free. The power of God's word this is not a fairy tale. This is not a history book. This is God's Word, right? The, scripture, the Bible says that his, this is God's breathed Word. He spoke through human beings. Just like when He spoke the world into existence, He spoke these words onto this page. And we read this. And when we read this, and if we'll put the Word in our hearts and we'll hold on to it and not let anything steal it from us, God says, I will set you free. I will produce my fruit in you. <clears throat> Look at Matthew 13. So we understand kind of what that story is. And he explains the story of the farmer and the seeds and the four soils. He says this in verse 18, Matthew 13, verse 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away, uh, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while.
For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. We are being invited by the Lord to be good soil. What's the seed? The seed in the story is the word of the kingdom. And Jesus is explaining how to get what? The fruit of that kingdom into our lives. This is really simple. The story, this parable, is explaining to us how the whole kingdom of God works. How God gets His will done on earth. Did not Jesus come? Oh, that sounded almost like old King James. Did thou if not Jesus come? No, I'm joking. Didn't Jesus come to see God's will done on earth? Didn't He tell us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's His desire. That nations would be discipled and blessed. That people's lives would be transformed. That what it's like in heaven would be what it's like on earth. Didn't He say this thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came to give life and life to the fullest? So this is the King of God's kingdom coming to heal, to deliver, to save people, to forgive them of sins, to transform their life. Isn't that what Jesus did? Amen? That's what he did. That's what his ministry was all about. He came, I didn't come to serve. I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, right? And he's explaining how you can receive the kingdom, how you can see God's will done in your life, how you can receive life to the fullest. He's explaining the kingdom doesn't come to you in the form of a fully grown tree with fruit. The kingdom comes to you in the form of a seed, in the form of a Word, an invitation to believe that word, hold it into your heart until it produces fruit. And Jesus is explaining to us why a lot of Christians don't receive the promises of God in their life. Why a lot of Christians don't see their prayers answered. Because Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you, right? So Jesus desires us to have a hundredfold fruit. Thirtyfold is doing good too, right? Just like a baseball player. Getting 30-fold, right? 30, 30, uh, batting 300, that's a good average, right? In baseball, that's a good average as a Christian. But Jesus wants to see a thousand, right? He wants us to bat a thousand. He wants us to see a hundred percent in our lives. That when we ask God, the Father, in Jesus' name, we actually see that happen in our life. That when we hear the Word of God, like on a Sunday morning, or when you're doing your devotions, or when you're had a home group, we're just being in church and you hear the word of God, that, that you believe that word, you receive that promise, and you produce the fruit of the kingdom. And of course, he was explaining to us that some people are hard soil. They don't even get it, do they? they full of self-denial, self-deception, pride, selfishness, and the seed just bounces right off their heart. Sam and I were talking and he said, David, isn't it kind of ironic that you're talking about hard hearts and there's inevitably people in a church setting like this who have hard hearts and you're actually saying don't have a hard heart and yet they have hard hearts and they don't even get what you're talking about and I thought yes Sam that's exactly right that you could actually sit here hear the parables of Jesus and be like when's lunch and you don't even realize that life is coming to you life is coming to you people who are hard soil like I said last week are 
People who hate correction. They don't even, they even avoid it. They don't even want to come to church. They don't want to hear. Rocky soil are those people. They receive it with joy. Did you notice that? But what happens? Trials and tribulations come. People come, mess with you. Life happens. Demonic things come our way. And what does that person do? They stumble. What do they stumble over? Rocks. It means that they became offended, disappointed, discouraged, and they gave up on believing God. It doesn't mean that they necessarily fell away from Jesus or stopped going to church, but in their hearts, they gave up on the promises. They gave up on asking for that prayer. They became mad at God. And then we put a smile on our face and come to church and say everything's okay, right? The thorny soil are those people who have never really understood that Jesus is an all or nothing kind of guy. I gave my life. The only proper response is to give your all back to me. And people like this, they have the word in their hearts, but they have other things in their hearts that are competing. The cares of this life, worry, fear, distracted with other things, busyness, the comforts of this life, right? We're too busy to do our devotions, too busy to come to church. Everything else is more important. Jesus simply says, you will not produce fruit if you have desires for other things. Greed and lust that causes me to say comfort, my comfort, and my life, and those things are more important than the kingdom. Jesus said, you're not going to produce fruit unless you go all or nothing here. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you, right? And so, so many Christians, so many Christians, especially in the Western world, rocky and thorny soil, not seeing what God wants to do done in their life, and then they're mad at Him, right? There's so many lies, so many human traditions we believe, like, well, you know, if, it's, if there's a closed door, it must not be the will of God. You know, I was just going for, you know, I was believing God for this, but then God closed the doors. You know, the devil closes doors too, doesn't he? Just because there's an obstacle in your way doesn't mean it's not God. Well, you know, if it's hard, you know, it's just not happening. It's just not flowing right. It must not be God. What? You live in a broken, fallen world in which people do not do God's will, and you live in a broken, fallen world where demons want to steal the promises of God from you. It's not God who doesn't want to get His will done in His life. Yes, I want to sow this seed, but I don't really want it to bear fruit. That's how people think God is like. They think God's the one preaching, I love you, I want to do this in your life, but I'm stealing it from you behind your back. Farmers don't do that. Jesus did not say, I came to steal. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's the devil's job description. Jesus' job description is only to give a life. He only sows the seed to only produce fruit in your life. He wants you to produce a hundredfold. He wants you to fulfill your calling. Amen? He wants to see His will done in your life. Who's the one stealing the seed? Who's the one sending the trials to try to rob you of that seed? It's the enemy. Well, I mean, some of those trials are just because, like I said, we live in a broken world. It's just life. So it's not just always the devil, but it is the enemy trying to accuse you and dumb down your faith. And get you off track. But it's Jesus trying to convince you that He wants to do it in your life. And He's trying to help us to understand this. And then, of course, the good soil we talked about last week is when we're fully convinced, right? Just like Abraham, who did not waver at the promise through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that the one who promised it was also able to, to do it. Completely satisfied. You said it. I believe it. You will do it. Completely convinced and satisfied that He is faithful and He is able. And the Lord is showing us in this series how to have 
fully convinced faith, how to have patient faith, how to hold on to that word to see God's promises produced in our life, His fruit produced in our life. This is how the kingdom works. This is how to disciple nations. This is how to see God's will for your business or your family done in our lives. This is how it works. Whether it's that one small problem that you have or some physical healing, or someone coming to Jesus and being saved? And why is it that your business matters? Why is it that, that like you getting a job matters? It's not about you, is it? It's about producing the fruit of God's kingdom, His supernatural blessing on your life. Why? Because He wants to bless you to make you a blessing. Amen? He wants to bless you to make you a blessing. This is about His glory. And so we want to be people who produce fruit in abundance so that we can bring Him glory and so that we can do what God has called us to do. The reality is, if you're a business owner, you are a kingdom entrepreneur. Amen, Clint? Clint leads us in this. But if you're a business owner, you're a part of what God is doing. If you're not called to be a businessman, you should change your job to what you're called to do. (laughs) So, amen. So if you're doing what God has called you to do, then He wants to pour out that blessing on you. All right. But here's the thing. I want you to see something. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Do you notice that in verse 20, it says, He who received the seed on stony places. He who received the seed. Does receiving the seed automatically mean that you're going to produce the fruit of the kingdom? Obviously not, according to this parable. What does he say in verse 23 that it requires? But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, which is how you receive, right? The word is the seed. You you receive it by hearing and understands it. See, faith that produces fruit in our lives, the fruit of the kingdom, is not just receiving the promise of God, not just receiving it like, yeah, that's a good word, Dave. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that sermon already. Yeah, 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 I already did. I already went through a discipleship thing already when I was younger. You know, it, that, that, that doesn't matter. The matter is, is, are you producing fruit? Amen? Right? It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters how much fruit we produce. And even if you're a 30-fold Christian, isn't there more? Amen? Doesn't, don't we want to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus and press into all that He has for us? That's a longing in my heart. I want the fullness of God for my life. I want the fullness of God for this church. I'm satisfied in Him, but I'm not satisfied in what, how much of, the, of heaven we have on earth. I want more. I want to see the nations discipled. I'm not going to be satisfied until we see Thailand come to Jesus. I'm not going to be satisfied until we see a multitude of disciples and churches coming forth from this church. What about other churches? Amen that too. But I'm a steward of this church. Jesus is the pastor of His church. Amen? But I happen to be the steward of this one. And if you're here, you have been invited to, be, to partner with us. Amen? You're called to be here. You're not just a spectator. We have a stewardship that we have to steward before the Lord and take responsibility of that. Right? And the, the, the seed that the Lord is giving, that's the constant. But the soils are the variables. Which soil are we? are we going to be? We're going to be good soil, amen? And it takes not just receiving it, not just receiving the Word, not just receiving the promise. Yeah, that's a good start. We have to be people who understand it. Luke chapter 8 says it this way. Same parable. Jesus ends it this way. Because He taught this all the time. He ends it this way. Those who produce fruit 
are those, they produce fruit, and it, he says it this way, with patience. With patience. That's not a cuss word. See, there is something you need. There is a quality of faith that you need. Because there is a distance between receiving the seed and producing the fruit. Is there not? And therefore there is a, because there is a distance between receiving the seed and producing the fruit, there is also a process of how that seed germinates and becomes a tree and produces fruit. Yes? There is a process to how God gets His Word into your heart and then grows that into a fruitful tree in your life. And you know what that process is called, right? Patience. It's called patient faith. And let me tell you, if you don't like anyone talking about patience in your human relationships, you ain't going to like this message either. Because <laughs> I'm going to talk to you this morning about patient faith. The Lord is calling us to be a people of good soil who are fully convinced that what He said is true, that He is faithful and able to do it, and we hold that faith with patience. And unless we have faith and patience, we do not have the right combination according to the Word of God. Because see, people who just receive the Word and like, Amen, I'll take that. But they don't understand how the kingdom works. And they don't understand that trials and tribulation are going to come. And they don't understand how to grow this. They're not going to produce fruit. His Word is still true. But Jesus said, only those who understand will produce that fruit. So look with me in Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And let's look at this concept of patient faith and pray that the Lord reveals this to us. Patient faith. He says this in verse 9 of Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 verse 9. Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things concerning... Uh, I'm sorry, things accompanying salvation. In the context, he's referring to the fruit of the kingdom. The, Right? That you can be saved, but there is fruit that comes from your salvation. What Emily was describing in her own transformation. God, she accepted Jesus, but there's this transformation happening. That's things that accompany salvation. Right? You're in the kingdom, but you have received the kingdom as well. And so he says, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, because he had been warning them. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And that's a very important uh, aspect of, of our uh, walk with the Lord. Verse 11, And we desire that each one of you, listen, that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, literally lazy, but imitate... Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So how is it, according to Hebrews, it's all over the scriptures, do people inherit the promises of God? He made the promises. They are for us. Right? Every promise in this book is really for every human being on this face of this earth. Why? Because Jesus loves them, created them, and wants them. He died for their sin and is inviting them to come into His kingdom. Amen? Every person can have what God wants to give them. But not everyone inherits them. He tells us right here how people in the Scriptures like Abraham and David 
inherited the promises. How is it that Jesus was able to be who he was? Well, you know, he's God and all. No, no, come on. Don't do this cop-out stuff with me. Right? He became a human being and he fully trusted God and he walked in the Spirit and he produced a hundredfold fruit of his life. Did he not? Right? And we want to be like Jesus. How is it that you produce the fruit of the kingdom? Inherit the promises. He says right here, faith and patience. Faith and patience. And he's calling the people in this, in, this, uh, in this letter, they're struggling with a lot of persecution and some real struggles going on. They're questioning, they're double-minded. And he's saying, You've, we've got to be diligent. We've got to put effort into seeking the Lord and doing the things of the kingdom, like serving the poor, taking care of the ministry, ministering to the saints. Be diligent until the full assurance. That's the same concept we talked about last week. We've got to go from strength to strength, diligently growing our faith, as we give glory to God, until we come to this place of being fully assured, fully convinced of what the Lord has said. And he says, being, not being lazy, right? Not allowing the thorns and the busyness and the distractions of this life to choke out the fruit of the, of the Word, but diligently seeking the Lord. And he says, imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So basically looking at those who have received those promises and doing what they do which the, would be the opposite of laziness, but it would be diligence, wouldn't it? I've been thinking about this concept of patience uh, before, before you know, thinking about this message. The Lord's been really like growing me in this, let's just say that. And as I was seeking the Lord one day, uh, it's funny because my wife jokes and she'll, she'll tell people, Dave's just really patient. And uh, so though I was talking to the Lord about that, and he didn't necessarily rebuke me. He wasn't like, no, you're not really patient. But the Lord was like, no, let me, let me show you what patience really is. And I'm not necessarily all, all that patient, like, you know, but there is a, there's a sense in which, um, as I'm seeking the Lord, as we began to speak to him about, he began to show me how patient he is. Because he's the, he is the essence of patience, is he not? He's perfect. What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. So literally, love consists of this quality that we would call patience, right? And as you read through 1 Corinthians 13, you begin to get this sense of love that love is patient. It's not easily angered. Right? It doesn't get up, it's not uptight, emotional, get easily angered and frustrated at people. No, it's patient. Kind, right? Not rude or harsh to people. Love does not keep a record of wrong. Love is forgiving. Willing to let things go. Right? And love, uh, uh, I love, one of my favorite phrases, love always hopes. Love always believes. Love endures all things. What do we sing all the time at church from the Psalms? We give thanks to the Lord for His good. His love endures forever. Or literally, unfailing. He began to show me that the way that he loves people is unfailingly. That he never stops believing in people. He never stops loving them, no matter what. What happened was, as I'm with the Lord, and it was only the Lord who could reveal this to me, he began to show me just how consistent and how constant his love really is. And he was showing me how his love is patient. Patient love. Patient being the quality of his love, a descriptor of his love, that when he loves, 
He loves in such a way that His love does not change. It doesn't waver. It doesn't go up and down. Right? And here's the crazy thing about patience. See, patience is the ability, listen, to remain the same when other things change. Do you catch me on this? Watch. If I really love like He loves... And someone comes to me and accuses me and yells at me and is mean to me. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Is he talking about pacifism and being a wimp? No, it's not at all what he's talking about. People like, they just, religious people, miss the whole thing. No, he's talking about when you can love like God loves and they hit you on one side, you have the self-control on the inside, you take responsibility for you, and what happens? You love them the same. See, what happens when we don't really love, when we're not truly transformed, we're affected by our circumstances and the people around us, and then we blame them for our actions. Yes? So the person comes to me and yells at me, and he's, he or she's mean to me. That didn't actually happen. I'm just being hypothetical. They yell at me. They're mean to me. Patient love is, I love you the same as I did before. And this is how God loves human beings. He never stops loving people. And His love for people never changes. He always believes in people. doesn't matter how far someone is from Him. No matter how close to... Hell they are. He still wants the same thing He always wanted for them. Their salvation and transformation. Amen? That He still is praying for that person. He never stops believing in them. Never stops loving them. He never gives up. Amen? That's the kind of love He has. Why? Because He has patient love. And what else is His patient love like? When people hate God and they accuse God of wrong, and they judge God, and they say things about Him that are not true, like He's some meanie, and you know, He sends all these bad things to this world, even though it's the devil, you know what I'm saying? What does He do? He remains the same. Do you see what I'm saying? Consistently, constantly loving. That is patient love. Consistently, constantly the same who He is. Is He just and righteous as well? Amen. And His patience holds back just wrath. And He waits and He waits and He waits, patiently believing, patiently giving His Son as a sacrifice for sin, patiently praying that people would be saved, patiently waiting for 2,000 years to come back. There's only one reason why Jesus hasn't come back. Because He's waiting for people to be saved with patience. Love. And do you think that his faith, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail and that all the nations will be saved? Or, you know, all, you know, every people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation will be in heaven? Do you think his faith in that has ever wavered? Do you think that his love for lost people has ever wavered? No! The Bible says his love is an unquenchable flame. So this is what he was showing me. I was just getting rocked. I was like, oh God, I'm not patient at all. <laughs> Because, but I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. That he was showing me this. Why? Because I believe in people. I really do. And this is partly what my wife was trying to say, to, say about me at times. Here I am boasting about myself. No. I, I want to I say this because when somebody is making a bad choice, when somebody is just doing stupid stuff, I still believe in them. I really do. I really do. 
I still believe in the promise of God for their life. I still believe in their calling. And I still believe in who they are. Now, I don't know if they're going to turn and repent. That's, you have to understand, patience doesn't change your circumstance automatically. Nor does patience change the other person in your life, does it? What is patience? It's changing my heart and my response and my perception to what's going on around me and to that person. Yes? So I really do, I'm not really all that patient, I get frustrated, but I'm just saying, I really do believe in people. But then, the Lord is showing me, no, you don't always believe in people. Look at that. Look at, look at that, right? And he wasn't just like beating me up. He wasn't showing me my lack. He was showing me his fullness, which is the great way to grow, by the way. Stop looking at your lack. Look at his fullness. So, patient love. I love this person now, right? Now, all of a sudden, we go through this hard time. Let's say a husband and a wife. And let's say a wife starts disrespecting her husband. Or a husband isn't doing what a wife expects him to. Patient love is that that husband or wife continues to love that spouse the same as before. That no matter what you do to change, I will keep loving you. Why? Because according to the will of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Patient love says, no, God says to love like this. This is what God's love is like. And so the condition for me loving you is the character of God and the unchangingness of what His love is like, not you and your behavior and your actions. Do you see that? So when a person who has a calling of God in their life and they sin and they walk away from God in the church... I still believe in you. Do you see what I'm saying? That's patient love. In a marriage, that's patient love. Patience, so when it says faith and patience, he's describing the quality of that faith. Faith that is patient. What does that mean? That means that faith or patient faith is the same kind of faith in the trial as before the trial. Do you see that? Patient faith is the same unswerving, fully convinced faith that what He said He will do because He said it and it is not contingent upon my circumstances, my lack, my ability this broken world, what other people say, think, or believe about me, it is patient faith, therefore, it upholds the same level of faith in the midst of the trial as it did before the trial. Do you see that? But what happens? The trial comes. The delay comes. The accusation from the enemy comes to make you look at your lack or your failure. And what do we do? Our faith drops. Does it not? We do not hold the same consistent, constant, same level of faith because our faith is not in Him, but in those things. Yes? Do you see that? And do you see that every seed that gets planted in a soil will have trials and tribulations? Those trials and tribulations are true for every single person. And your patient faith does not necessarily mean that your circumstances change. Just like your patient love does not necessarily mean that the person who's hurting you is going to change. But I will say that when you patiently love somebody, things begin to change. 
And when you walk in patient faith, His supernatural power goes into operation to release His kingdom and change your circumstances. Patient faith. It's like a football team that plays the same in the final two minutes of the game when they're playing a team that is better than them and they are down by a lot of points. They say they play the same. And they will not give up. Why? Because they take ownership for their part to play. Because the moment that they stop playing like they're a great team, they lose. Right? Patient faith says, I will not give up and I will not let go. And I will play the same game with this team that is better than me as with this team that I know I can be. And I will play the same in the last quarter as I played in the first quarter. Even when I know or think I know that I will lose. Do you see what I'm saying? That's patient faith. That is what the Bible calls endurance, perseverance. Yeah? Look at uh, Hebrews 10. Just jump over really quick to Hebrews 10. You're quiet. Is it because the Lord is speaking to you or because you don't get it? Because I could repeat myself. No, no, don't repeat yourself. (laughs) Hebrews 10, listen to this. This is the word of the Lord. This is definitely the word of the Lord to me, by the way, but I just want to freely receive, freely give. Listen to this. Verse 35 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Amen? For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. What is the descriptor of those who are righteous in Christ? They will live by faith. That means that every day we live, every moment we live, every breath we live, breathe, we live by what? Faith. Patient faith that will not give up and will not let go will not draw back, will not cast away or just let go of our confidence, but we hold on to that seed, we hold on to our confidence in God, and we will not pull back, we will not draw back, but we press into what God has for us. Amen? And that is called living by faith. But when we get anxious, worried, fearful, offended at God, discouraged, disappointed. That is not living by faith, is it? It is living by sight. See, the Bible says you will receive, uh, that God will provide for you according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus, or by Christ Jesus. Amen? That is a verse in the Bible. Amen? That is what we call a seed. A word. Will that verse provide for you? Nope. See, a lot of people wait till the trial comes to build up their faith. That promise is a seed. And there's a lot of people already offended at God who say, provide all my need according to His glory. How is that going to happen? 
when I'm in a wilderness, when there's nothing going on in my life. It's not possible. They see no possibility of what the Lord wants to do in their life or can do in their life. And I would say to them, well, God will supply all your need according to His glory. It could sound very trite. In fact, it could be trite. It's a seed. And that little tiny seed is not going to pay your bills or get you a job. You have to take that promise from God in His Word. You have to take that seed and you have to receive it with joy. And then... Hold on to that seed with the same kind of faith as you did before the trial came. Because it doesn't look like that seed is going to produce any fruit, right? We have to think like farmers. Can a farmer see the seed germinating? Can this farmer even make the seed germinate? He can't do anything to make it happen except for his part, watering it and such and, you know, and the like. We have to be like a farmer. Doesn't a seed have to stay in the ground, dark, cold, and he unseen before it will grow and break through the ground and produce fruit? Doesn't a tree need to grow and kind of get big and have some root systems before it will actually have fruit on it? Doesn't a tree kind of look a little bit sterile before it will produce fruit? We have to think like farmers that there is a process and there is a journey from receiving to producing and we have to look with eyes of faith to say, I know that that seed is in the ground and it will produce fruit. And we have to look at eyes of faith and say, I might look like a green stalk with no fruit on me, but I will produce fruit because he said so. But what do we do? We look at our circumstances. We look at our lack. We look at what's not happening. We look at those kind of things. And how many people are like that in our culture? Well, I prayed and it didn't happen. What does that prove? Uh, it proves Matthew 13 is right. A lot of people in our culture create theology about God and His promises based on their lack of experience. Well, no, I believe God. What are you saying? You believe that He was unfaithful? Right? I prayed and it didn't happen. My grandmother was a great grandmother and then da 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 and cancer. And, and of course, we'd be very compassionate and never judge anyone. It's not at all in any way to judge. But you're basically trying to say that your experience is more reality than God's Word. Jesus is telling us why it didn't happen. See, reason would tell us, well, it didn't happen in my experience, so then it wasn't God's will. That, that's human reasoning from this culture, from this religious culture. But the Word says there's a reason why it didn't happen. And there's a way to see that fruit produced in our life. We don't have to continue to live in barrenness and brokenness. We can stand on His Word. When I come to a, 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 a gentleman and I say, you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, the will of God is your sanctification, do you think that that word that I just said to them, that seed is going to make them pure and free from sexual addiction? Not right away. And they come to me and say, you said I was righteous of God, but I just blew it. And what are they doing? Looking at their lack instead of at the power of God's word, right? No, but you have to understand. It doesn't matter if you kind of... anyways. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but yes, we need to do the will of God. We need to obey God's word, right? But I'm telling you, you mess up, you fall short, you, you have lack. Yes, but if you'll keep the word of God in your heart, that you are the righteousness of God, therefore you will produce righteousness fruit, and you hold on to that word, what will happen? You're going to walk in purity. Do you see what I'm saying? If you will take the seed of the promise of God that he'll provide for your need, I could pick any other promise in the scriptures, not that we don't, we don't take them out of context, just it's very clear. You hold on to that seed, what will happen? You get a job. 
Do you need to hear the Lord in the process? Yes. Do you need to obey Him? It says in Hebrews 10, after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promises. Amen. You don't just like sit around. Faith is not a lazy boy. But do you see that you've got to hold on to it? Keep your faith up. And you've got to play the same game in the fourth quarter and the second quarter and the third quarter as you did in the first quarter. Amen? <clears throat> Let me just show you something here. Romans 5. Go to Romans 5. I probably said this before, but I want you to understand. I know. Just go. You can misunderstand this if you'd like, but <laughs> everything that I have ever believed God for, I have received. See, when I have asked the Father in the name of Jesus for something, I have always received it. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean like I've prayed for every person, like every person I prayed for, they got healed. And that doesn't mean that like I've always been fruitful in that way. I don't mean that. I don't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that I don't have a lot more to grow in. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm 30-fold yet. But, <laughs> what I mean is, when I have asked the Lord for freedom, when I have asked the Lord for joy, when I have asked the Lord for things that are in His Word according to His will, oh, I fight Him, I waver, I struggle, I dig my heels in the ground. Probably a lot less nowadays. I'm starting to figure things out. Yeah, I struggle. But God works in us to will and to do, does He not? And we saw that last week, that God is the one cultivating that faith in our life. And He works that into our life. And the Lord has brought me to a place where I believe Him and I believe His Word. And I'm telling you everything that I've ever stood in faith on and not given up on and not backed down. And I keep at it. I'm telling you, I've received it. And I come to the Lord in this, this kind of season of my life where I'm believing Him for some different things. Really, I'm believing Him for things that really don't really have to do as much with me. And I'm standing in faith and I'm saying, Lord, I have believed you and I have seen you work. And you have been faithful to me in every area. Time and time again. And then of course the Lord comes and rebukes me and says, I have provided every need for you. You know what I'm saying? He's talking to me about this stuff too and I'm responding back to him. And I say, why would it be different now? Why would it be different with this? Amen? See, because people who see his miracles... But don't understand God's character. Don't understand when He did that miracle, it means He will do this one. Because He's faithful. Because it's who He is. Amen? Like, those, like the disciples, they saw tons of people fed with bread, and then they're in a boat with Jesus, and they're like, Oh no, we don't have any bread. We're going to go hungry. And Jesus is mad at us. And He's like, Dude, how many basketfuls of leftovers did we have? Hello? And He called the, said, You guys have little faith and dull hearts. Because so often we see what he does, but it doesn't translate into understanding the kingdom, which produces fruit. Look at Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. See, I know a lot of people who say they're patient, but they're not really. How many people you talk to, and you're like, you know, yeah, we need some patience up in this relationship. Oh, no, I'm patient. All along, they're like, I'm so frustrated, I don't like this person, and da-da-da-da-da, and they don't change, and da-da-da-da-da, and I'm not really sure, and maybe they'll never change. And what you hear coming out of their mouth is fear, complaining, grumbling, yeah? And they're like, but I'm patient. Right, right. right we put that religious cap on our heads, and it's labeled justification, <laughs> self justification and excuses and we like to say oh yeah yeah no i'm patient with my spouse what are you talking about you ain't patient with your spouse (laughs) let's just admit it right we do the same thing with god oh yeah you know because tribulation produces perseverance dave and perseverance character and they like to talk about the trials and they like to talk about the tribulation and how they're standing in faith no you're not grumbling, complaining, I don't know if God's going to do it, wavering back and forth. I mean, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm just trying to expose our self-justification. That's not faith, and that's not patient faith. Amen? What does it say here? It says we, what? Glory in tribulations. It means I boast about God. And He's for me. And he's not against me. And He's made promises to me. And He's going to do what He said. And even in the midst of this trial, I say, God, thank you for this trial. Like a fire refining this faith in me. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to believe you here on this earth before I see it with my eyes. I thank you for that. And you know what happens? You start getting happy. You start rejoicing. Do you know how the trials produce perseverance rather than offense? Joy. How many people, they hit the trials, they stumble, they get offended at God, they get disappointed, they give up on the promise and they say, yeah, but you know, you know, perseverance produces character, character, hope. You ain't persevering. You're like, you're pitiful. And then we create a theology about why it doesn't happen. Make ourselves feel good. No, no, no. Perseverance produces character. means you're becoming more like Jesus. And he didn't doubt God. And then character produces hope. Do you realize that in verse... Uh, two, you start with hope. And what do you end up with in verse 5? Hope! More hope! People who are growing in perseverance and character through an attitude of joy and patient faith, they end up at the end saying, I got more hope than I did before. That means that they're believing God for something, like a job, for example. And that means when you don't see the job coming, and you see your own lack, and the economy goes down, that through the trial, you grow in character and perseverance. And that means when it's been like six months, you don't have a job, you're like, praise God, I see that job coming. And you have more hope than what you started with. But what happens? We lose hope, don't we? It drains out of us. So how do you build your faith? Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. We're going to talk about it. How do you strengthen your faith? Why? By giving glory to God. What is the evidence that you have patient faith? I think it's so obvious. If I call you on the phone, we'll wrap up with this. If I call you on the phone and I say, tomorrow, I'm going to pay all your debt off. Just come to my office. What do you feel inside? Joy. Yeah? Are you serious? Oh my goodness. 
This is so awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, and what happens when you hang up the phone? Yeah, first you ask what time. And then, and then what do you feel afterwards? Oh my goodness, babe. It's all, we're going to pay off all our debt. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to be afraid. Oh, rest. You sleep good that night. And what do you do the next morning? You get up and you go to my office and you receive. Okay, it's not very hard to figure out what the evidence of patient faith looks like. And it's all over the Word of God. What patient faith looks like, same consistent, is that when I see it, I see it in my spirit. I see what God is going to do in my life. I see the promise of God. I see the fruit. I see it. I'm like a farmer. I know it's a seed in the ground, but in my heart I see a field of harvest. I see it. What does, what does that produce in me? It produces joy. Yeah! It's coming! It's going to happen! It produces thankfulness, right? Doesn't the Bible say, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, pray continually, yes? Doesn't, doesn't Isaiah 54 says, hey barren woman, rejoice! Because you're going to have more children than the one who has children. Rejoice! Sing and shout! Doesn't, doesn't faith produce rest? Right? Remember Jesus in the storm? Was He worried? Same faith before the storm as during the storm. Just sleeping. Why? I'm not worried. But also, what does it produce? It produces action, diligence, obedience. Does it not? Hey, I need you to go to the, go to the store and do this and come to my office. You're going to do it, wouldn't you? Because if you really believe God, wouldn't you do what He said? Amen? We'll talk more about some of those things. But I want to I end with this. Do you remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 18? I'll just summarize it. With the woman who goes to a judge and she won't let up on this judge. He's an unjust judge. He doesn't care about anyone, but she just keeps bugging him. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. And finally, this unjust judge says, Ugh, if I don't give her what she wants, she will weary me, listen, by her continual coming to me. Jesus told that story. Luke 18, verse 1, he says, He told this story so that people would pray and not lose heart. What is the evidence that I believe God? With patient faith. Not giving up. Not backing down. I pray with the same kind of fervency as I did before. Not trying to earn it or twist God's arm because I don't believe Him. But at a place of restfulness and thankfulness. But I do not give up. Amen? And how often in my life do we back off? Do I back off in the fervency in prayer? Yes? But what did the unjust judge say? She continually comes to me. Then Jesus defines the parable as such. He says, How much more will God not do for His people who come and pray to Him, what? Night and day. And then He's asked this question at the end. But will He find faith on the earth? Jesus is looking for a people who will endure through the hard times. Who can believe Him, listen, for nations to be discipled even when there's sin in nations. Right? Because we as Americans say, it's all getting bad and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. But Jesus told us to disciple nations. How can you have patient faith and patient love for a nation that you condemn? How can we believe God for revival in America when we're talking about how messed up our country is? Yeah, there's problems in our country, is there not? I'm concerned, just like anyone else. But patient faith says, we're going to pray for the same revival that He wants, 
as before our country was getting bad and worse. Do you see what I'm saying? Same thing with somebody you're believing God to come to Jesus with. They get worse. How do you know they're not getting closer? Same thing with your job. Same thing with your marriage. Same thing with your calling. Same thing with the promise of God. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's a seed in the ground. But if you will remain steadfast and rejoice and praise Him and give Him glory and come to that place of rest and full assurance and you will not let up but night and day continue with prayer and thanksgiving. Bug Him. Because you bug Him because He'll do it. What will happen? It'll produce fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Stand with me and pray. Let's just take a minute to tell the Lord how good He is. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord, You are faithful. I believe You. I will not give up. I will not back down. Your word is true. You are good. You are for me. You will do what you said. You will not give up on me. You are cultivating faith in me. And I trust you. And I will seek you. And I will hold on to your word. Until you produce your fruit. In me. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving me with an unfailing love. Tell the Lord right now, just just between you and the Lord, talk to Him. The only reason I brought up these things, the only reason that the Lord brings up these things is because they're barometers to show us where's my heart at. There's no condemnation, but He wants you to look into your heart and see what do you need to align with the Lord. So just take a second to align with Him, to repent if you need to repent. If, if, if you've been double-minded, just tell him. Just be honest with him. Say, God, I'm totally struggling in this area. i totally blown it. I tell him that all the time. But then I make a commitment. I align myself with the Lord. By his grace, I say, Lord, I'm going to believe you. You're faithful. So just do that right now. Align yourself with the Lord. Repent. Just come and commit your heart to him. If you have never put your faith in Jesus before... Or if you're at a place where you need to surrender to His Lordship in a, in, a, in a renewed way, just do that right now. Just say, I receive you, Jesus, as the Lord, the leader of my life. I receive your forgiveness freely. I will follow you. Just give your heart to Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, we want to be... People of faith and patience. We want to be people of prayer who give you no rest until you bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We commit our hearts, Lord. We ask that you would be glorified. That's the longing of our heart, the desire of our heart. You'd have your way in our lives. That you would be glorified on the earth. That you would be glorified in this generation of young people. This this nation of people who turned their hearts away from you. We want you to be glorified in this city, in this nation. We ask you for revival. Just ask Him to get His glory. Ask Him for revival. Ask Him for a harvest of souls to come to Him. 
We ask you for your salvation. Jesus' name. Jesus' name.